Thank you for joining us and welcome to a very special series called Shock Your Job Search Potential. I'm your host, Michael Sherlock, and over the next few weeks, we will introduce you to experts in the fields of recruiting, hiring, and interviewing, providing both job seekers and hiring managers with valuable information. We also highlight a wealth of resources for vets and their families. Listen in to Shock Your Career Potential. To learn more about all of our programs, visit us at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com. All right, everybody, I know you're waiting for this one. Today, we're going to talk about unleashing our superpower, and we're going to talk about it specifically with persuasive conversation and communication strategies. And joining me today is Mr. Persuasion himself, Jeff Tibbet. And uh, Jeff has a lot to share with us. I think it's going to, I'm just thinking we're going to be a little bit engaged in this. This is going to be a lot of fun, maybe because he has a personality to match all this. So first <laughs> Jeff, welcome to uh, to our beautiful virtual summit here. Thank you. I am honored to be part of our com- your conversation here today. I appreciate it. Thank you. We are being watched by job seekers, and I'm fairly certain HR managers and different hiring managers as well, because the topics are so timely that, yes, it's about really taking the job seeker's perspective, and that's what I want to be able to focus on. But I think with everybody, persuasive communication is so important in the job search and interview process because if you don't get your message across the right way in the beginning, you may not get another chance. So, you know, first of all, just would you give us a little introduction to yourself? Talk about, you know, what makes you an expert in this area and why this is passionate and maybe a little how you'd apply it just initially the concept to our job seekers. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, besides being a speaker and an author, I'm an entrepreneur as well. I have like always been an entrepreneur. I remember as a kid going and knocking on neighbors' doors and getting gigs to mow their yard and to rake their leaves. But then I took it to the next step. I would hire my friends to go do those contracts so they would fulfill the work. So here I am, 11 years old, you know, this young entrepreneur out there. Um, when I was in existing companies, I was the entrepreneur. Like I was always seeing new things that we could start, new things that, that we could do. Um, at one point, I went overseas to start a nonprofit, um, work over there. Um, and then in uh, 2014, October of 2014, I launched Target Persuasion, which is a firm at that point was just to do political consulting. Um, and that, of course, that's an election year. And I launched in October. It was the worst time to launch a company. Um, However, I feel very fortunate that within a week of putting my shingle out there that I picked up my first half dozen clients, which gave me faith, hey, we can keep this going. And then within the first quarter of being in business, the very first one, Q1 of of my business life, I signed my first international client, which is this little company out of California that a few people have heard of called Airbnb. And I did public affairs work in the state of North Carolina for Airbnb. So in addition to client work, I spent about half my time on that side, which is good for my speaking in that it keeps me delivering the things that I talk about. It keeps me practicing, looking for new techniques and new ways. So it's, it keeps me from being in a silo of uh, this 20-year cycle of doing the very same thing over and over. But then about half the time I speak, um, 2019 is, uh, moves me into international speaking. I'm heading overseas to speak uh, as well. Uh, so about half my time uh, on stage talking about the superpower of persuasive communication. And specifically for your audience, 
you know, I think we could talk some today, you know, around like how do you craft your message? And we, we may even want to back up. So like when I speak on persuasive communication, the number one pushback I often hear when people say, what do you do? I say, I'm a speaker. What do you speak on? I speak on persuasive communication. Nine times out of 10, they come back and say, oh, you teach people how to manipulate others. And like, no, that's the exact opposite of what I do. So if you want to talk a little bit about that, some we can talk a little bit about messaging and how we craft our messaging and how we say things. We can also talk a little bit about how to position messaging. We could even talk some about how to craft a call to action. And another thing that I think would be amazing for your audience, I have a chapter in my book um, on becoming the industry expert, becoming the guru in, a, in your space. And especially for job seekers, that will set you apart. And I think it's important for people before they become job seekers as well. Go ahead and set yourself up there to be the expert, the go-to person. And if you are in a space where you're looking for a job, branding yourself in that way will cause the calls to come to you instead of you always having to go out. So maybe talking a little bit about industry expert and um, with the adoption too, maybe we could talk a little bit about the greater good making sure we stay focused on a bigger picture and more than just the little transactions that we go through every day. How's that? <laughs> well, I think we can get that all done in the next 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hit highlights. One of the great to laugh too, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And we should, we should have That's a lot right. of fun. Um, and it's important. And one of the things I love what you said when you said people say, oh, you teach people how to manipulate them. And it's, it's a really fine line. Persuasive communication really should be about finding a way to give a, get a message across in a way that it is well received. And being on the opposite side of the interview table for hundreds and hundreds of people, I often have people come in trying to persuade me in a, you know, and really try and uh, you know, sell their case, sell themselves for a position. And many times it came across aggressive or, you know, not really asking, you know, how do we make this work? How do we find a bridge between what I do and what your job need and your company need is? And so I think it's such a fine line between how are you communicating and how do you really use it to persuade, to persuade a dialogue, to persuade an opportunity, to persuade you know, the next step in that. So, you know, because there's so many different ways to start, I, I think one of the greatest ways to start is for what you said is crafting your message, knowing what you want that interviewer to leave when you leave that they always remember about you and your message. Yeah. And, you know, there is, so there's, there's a fine line, I guess, like in our thinking between manipulation um, and persuasion, but sometimes in like an application, they can be worlds apart. Because manipulation at its heart, the definition there is, it means to control or to influence a person and to do it like cleverly, to have like wrong motives. So when that happens, and this probably with you on the other side of the desk, that may be what you felt at times when people were trying to just get what they want and knowing that you had this over here, where persuasion is this. It means to do something through reasoning or argument. And the argument here being the pure sense of the word, not like what we see in political discourse today. It is like really talking through ideals. So that can be like the employer sharing ideals about this position and what they're looking for. And then the person's being interviewed, sharing that as well as that how that applies to them. And then it means like through sustained effort then to, to move people to you in the same place. Now, I do have a, a chapter, a section in my, my book where we talk about binary versus non-binary options. And oftentimes we think when we're structuring, it's only black, white, yes or no. But part of persuasion is 
I might change. If I'm the one trying to, to pull someone along, I might change as well because I understand what that person is, what they want, what is I have to offer, and we find common ground. I look for two magical words at the end of a deal or a conversation or as like an employee talking with a potential employer. I look for two magic words that help me know, did I manipulate or did I persuade? And those two magic words are, that's right. So in application, when like an employer will say something and the employee responds back and this moving along together and you hear that a potential employer say, yeah, that's right. You know, at that point, you're at the same place. You're in common ground and you haven't, you know, you haven't forced them. You haven't made it happen. You presented a logical reason and you found common ground. How's that? And that's perfect. And then you gain that sense of, uh, you, you've got one, one, I always call it jelly bean. You have one jelly bean in a jar because you know that you've hit a mark that makes sense. You've left an impression and yeah. you've, you've found what they're looking for so that the, the communication then has been affected. That's fantastic. I love it. Good, good. Um, and you asked about like the crafting the message. So Albert Einstein said it this way. He said, if you can't explain something simply, then you don't understand it. And you know, as I said earlier, I work in public affairs and there is nothing simple about, about policy. It, it's so complicated. There's nothing simple about our lives. Like my life is like, it's big. You know, there's stuff all over the place. But as you said earlier, you know, people refer to me as Mr. Persuasion. That's pretty simple. It's two words that tells you a whole lot about me. So when I'm working with clients and, and we're looking at like messaging, what I encourage um, what us to do is first of all, and this is important for personal branding as well, being able to tell your personal story. It can be, it can be important to like, especially if you have time to prepare to respond to questions as well. So here's what I like to do. I like to tell clients, let's get it all out there. There's so much happening in our heads, right? We've got all this stuff bouncing around, like who we are, what we do, what we're good at, all this stuff. Let's, let's get it all out there. And for me, I often use a whiteboard and I like to get it, get it all out there. And then from that, arrange it into buckets. And then from that, start taking away things that aren't immediately necessary. And I say immediately because let's don't get rid of it. Let's don't discard it. But when I talk about messaging, I often refer to it as like an inverted funnel. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to get just a few words out there up front and we're whetting their appetite for the next level of words. And so, you know, what ends up happening, we say just a little bit. The last thing we want to do is for them to think, oh my God, stop talking, right? We want instead, we want them to be saying, but, but what's next? And what's next? So like get all the content out there, you know, and then get it assembled, figure out what's, what's necessary, unport it up front, think through the inverted funnel. We used to like think page to page or paragraph to paragraph or sentence to sentence, we're to the point dealing with audiences right now, and especially if you're working with a busy HR person that's trying to knock through a whole bunch of interviews, right? we have to think word to word to word. How important is that single word? Is it important? Keep it. If it's not important and you can do without it, get rid of it, strike it. So think word to word to word and say it in such a way that creates curiosity in the person in the interviewer. So they'll ask you the next question. How's that? Beautiful. I call it sound bites. Yes. No sound bites are when you go in because you only have moments and seconds to make impressions and have somebody actually want to listen to the next thing that you say. 
we do that with clients when we're preparing them for media interviews. You know, I will, we'll have our talking points, we'll have our three talking points, and I'll tell them, you've got five seconds to say this. Now let me hear you do it. Now, oftentimes, especially if you're a broadcast, they'll give you up to 10 seconds, but they're not going to put, there's no, there's no person on television unless you're some major celebrity that's going to give you more than 10 seconds for the message that, that you have. So practice it. I practice in the mirror. All the time. I think people that are getting employed for jobs, if they know some of the questions, like stand in the mirror, hey, look at your face, look at your eyes, see how you're responding um, to all of that. But yeah, think in five to 10 second intervals. And one of the things I encourage people to do is to think to the period, right? Sometimes what happens is we get like all these run on sentences and all these things that just continue on and on and on. Think to the period. If we mentally focus to the period, it gives us a stopping point. It gets us focused on the fact we need to stop. That's beautiful. I think. When you said earlier, when you see that person in, in your head, they're talking and you're thinking, please stop talking. Please, stop talking. please, I don't care about the story anymore. I don't even know where I was going. That would always get me because I think people get nervous. So they keep talking because that seems like a defense mechanism. But if you're also not watching the person that you're communicating with to watch when their eyes roll in the back of their head, <laughs> you lose a great opportunity to, to say, I understand my end point. I love, I think that's a great statement. Think to the period. Great tip. Yeah, I was, um, I was also thinking too, there were so many people that I'd interviewed over the years. And I remember this one, I've heard it so many times when I'd ask them a question, they'd say, somebody would say, well, that's an interesting story. Or they might start with, well, and those two statements or, or words mean that they don't really have anything concrete and they're going to give me a whole lot of fluff while they're letting their brains try and formulate what to answer that's going to make me happy. And those are the times that I really wanted somebody to have to be able to walk in with five concise stories already ready to go of examples they'd lived through that, that they knew would match what I'm looking for in that job and immediately be able to grab my attention, make me ask, tell me more. Yeah. And uh, I have a chapter in my book called Make a Connection. Um, and that, that applies especially in persuasive communication, but it does apply um, with when it, when it comes to the you know, employee situation as well. And I do believe even in a 15 minute interview that a person can make a connection uh, with that other person and storytelling is one of the best ways to, to do that. You know, having our stories um, done up front and making sure that that in these stories that we do have like some aha moment, there needs to be an, uh, this moment of truth within the story. And it, it could be what you learned internally. It could be the change. It could be how you help the organization and making sure that, and when we tell stories too, it's often better to focus them in a single person and telling the narrative of a single person instead of trying to tell a whole group. That gets extremely confusing um, to the other person as well. And you know, making sure that there's a clear meaning. Like we tell stories for a purpose. And it's one of the best things that we can do to make a connection with other people. But we, we need to make sure that we have a clear meaning of that. And to what we talked about earlier, the storyline needs to keep moving. Sometimes, just like we talked about with crafting your message, you know, we have all these extra details to our stories that probably don't add value to what we're saying. So how do you keep your storyline moving at a, at, a, at a good, solid pace? You don't want to lose your audience, but at the same time, you, know, you want to keep them moving on to the, the next thing. So, you know, and making sure that even with our word choice, that we're not using overly complicated words but that we are using heartfelt words and when we're trying to make that connection. So the storytelling, you know, from my perspective, is, is one of the ways, but it's a great way to connect. And if employees can connect with that potential employer with, with that heartfelt connection, it's a great way that if there is a match, to ensure that your resume stays up top. 
One of the things I'd like to highlight that you touched upon was when you're telling a story, make sure you tell it from your perspective. That is really important. I, there are many times that I'd have people saying, and this person was doing this and that person was doing that. And they thought that I don't care. Yeah. I don't, and how do you know? You know, yeah. we, we make assumptions in, in our environments where we have all these interactions with people, but I don't care about those people. I care about you. You're sitting in front of me as the interviewee. I want to know what your experiences have been. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I have another question then for you about, right. and this I think gets back to, I know you're just popping more questions in my head. This gets back to making a connection. To be fair, there are a lot of hiring managers and HR professionals that aren't comfortable and confident interviewers. And so sometimes they can be scattered. Sometimes they're nervous. Sometimes they don't ask really very good questions. And that can really throw an interviewee off, especially if you've got somebody maybe who's walking in a little late and they seem really distracted and you don't feel like you have their full attention. Any advice on how a person can make a connection in that environment and then also make it a very positive, memorable <laughs> encounter? Yeah. Well, a, a few things here, and I think it applies in this and, and can apply generally as well. Um, I advocate the use of humor as a way to make a connection with another person. And here's how important it is to me in my world as a professional speaker. Um, I Starting this Saturday, I'm doing a 10-week course on stand-up comedy where I will go in and I'll write stand-up and I will perform stand-up. There's something about comedy. If I can get someone to laugh with me, a lot of walls can just drop down. And you're right, the person interviewing may have all kind of insecurities inside himself or herself or all kind of stuff happening there as well. And it could be to the employee, potential employee's benefit, right, to break down some of those laws. So humor is great. Compassion is, is another way. If, you know, if the person is disheveled, if something came in late, like, oh, what's going on? And like really caring about the other person's life. Um, and not just compassion, but what about a deep, deeper level? What if we talk about empathy? So not only understanding, but like really feeling what it is. And that person may be under deadline to get someone in, in a position. There may be like tons of applicants. There may be a whole lot happening there. So understanding exactly what it is that they're going through, you know, as well. I also advocate as part of this, this way to make a connection that we are authentic with other people. And I think that especially when you're dealing with a younger workforce, millennial workers, you know, authenticity is extremely important. And when people say, well, Jeff, you know, okay, well, I'll try to be authentic. I'm like, whoa, time out. <laughs> we don't try to be authentic. We don't try. You just are or you aren't. You just are or you, or you aren't. And you know, that looks like, you know, telling like, it's bad things that have happened. It just as well. When I'm on stage, people like to hear my failures just as much as successes. They identify with how I failed, but how I didn't just stay there. And how I got myself back up again and took it to the next level. So being, and even being present, something that we probably shouldn't even have to say, but is extremely important is making sure the phone is put away and we're not glancing down at the phone and, and like putting our attention over there, that we are just like right there with that person. And for that moment, we are present. And the only thing that matters, the only thing that, it, that we care about is the communication that's happening between the two of us at that moment. I was thinking about when I, I know that I've seen people, I've had people that work for me that were going into interviews all scattered. And if I saw it, I usually tried to help diffuse it a little bit, but I could see, and I know that happens a lot for an interviewer, interviewee, and it's uncomfortable. And I was, I was thinking as you were talking about what difference would it make to be able to say to that, that interviewer and say, 
thank you so much for the opportunity today. I can see that you have a lot going on here, and I know you have a lot of pressing concerns. I really appreciate the time. I want to make sure that this is as compact for you as possible, and that I meet all your expectations in this interview, which is a it's also a nice way of saying, hey, buddy, <laughs> I need you to focus on me. I, you know, this is my one chance to shine in front of you, Mr. or Mrs. Manager. But it, right. it's in a way that's empathetic. Exactly. And that, in my opinion, begins this process of being able to have that type of connection with the other person. Um, and that's something that will stick with, most likely will stick with that person. When, when they go back and they think through the day and the people that they spoke with or they go back, they'll remember the kindness that was there, the empathy that was there. Um, and there will be this emotional connection that, you know, as long as the qualifications and all line up, could give you a little um, leg up from other people that maybe were just like cold and stoic, you know, in, in that interview. Absolutely. So we're getting close to the end. We had so much already, but one question I wanted to ask you is following up on authentic and really trying to find your authentic self. A lot of interviewers, many interviewers are nervous when they go in. And so it's difficult to always show your authentic self because it's such a unique environment. I always say nobody practices interview skills every single day. You either practicing it before you're doing it, hopefully, or you're just going into it cold, but it's not something that most people do every day. How do you suggest people hold on to or remind themselves of their authentic self when they're battling the nerves at the same time? Well, I go through the same thing every time I get ready to go on stage. And I have probably done over 500 now. And every time I still feel that inside of me. Um, and for me, like I have this thing that I do, like when, before I go speak, um, I'll be in a hallway and I'll just walk and I'll pace out the energy that's, that's in there. But at the same time, the, the, the nervousness that's in there, at the same time, for me, I don't want it all gone. I want to hold on to a little bit of that nervousness that will keep me mentally focused and will keep me sharp and will keep me engaged. So realizing, yeah, I, I have to walk some of it off because there's too much, but being okay with a little bit and then understanding what to do with it and realizing if you use it to your advantage, it can, it can sharpen your skills when you're having a conversation. Keeps you right on that edge there. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I feel the same exact way. <laughs> and I do a lot of pacing too. That way you also get a few extra steps in. There goes calories. That's how I'm viewing it, right? <laughs> Maybe I can have dessert now, right? <laughs> so I always ask everybody two questions uh, as we near the end. And the first is one for me that's always about being able to be reflective. And so my question is, you know, if you could go back in time at any point in time and talk to the younger Jeff at any point in time of your history, when would that be? And what would you tell him that would have shocked your potential farther or faster or kept you on the same exact path that will be helpful to our job seekers today? If I could go back to myself, um, finishing high school, I think I would just, I would tell myself to relax that everything is going to be okay. Um, Obviously, I'm way past the high school age now, and I've seen so many ups and downs in my life, and there were times when I really felt like, well, this is the end. Like, this is going to destroy me. I don't know how to move forward. Uh, launching my company, I was scared. It's like, is money going to come in? You know, am I going to be able to make this? Am I going to be able to make my mortgage? Am I going to pay for my kids? But life has a way of working itself out. So ridding myself of the anxiety 
that has happened time and time again in my life. And sometimes for a job seeker, that very same thing can be going on and that can negatively impact us. Um, but changing our mindset to realize, yeah, okay, I may be unemployed right now, but this is not me, right? I am an expert. I am a guru in this particular space. I would tell myself, relax, Jeff. It's all going to work out all the time. Enjoy it and enjoy every moment of the ride. And if you can't persuade yourself, <laughs> then it's hard to persuade somebody else. And it's, it is, it's very difficult to, to help people recognize you have to relax and give yourself a little bit of a break. But if you don't, it comes through in the interview process. I've had a lot of people sit across the table from me who you can almost smell, but you can definitely feel and see their desperation. That comes through. And that's, it's, not, it's not to their favor, unfortunately. You know, I tell myself, because I, I'm an overachiever. Uh, I like to get a lot of things done. I keep a lot of stuff, you know, on my plate with, with my life and the things that, that, I, that I do. And sometimes I feel like uh, that I'm not measuring up or that I haven't done all that I could do. Um, and if someone, in a case like mine, that puts in all these hours and all this work, realizing it's not true. And just accepting the fact that where I am right now is where I'm supposed to be. And relaxing in that. No, I'm not supposed to be there. I'm not supposed to be over there. I'm supposed to be where I am right now in life. So relax in that. Take the pressure off that I haven't done enough, that I'm not performing enough, that I did something wrong. I haven't done this. No. Right now, in this moment, I am right where I need to be in life and relaxing in that. Love it. So before I ask the last question, I just want to make sure we'll have all your contact information on the show notes, but uh, your website is Jeff T. Tibbet. Yep. So Jeff with two F's and extra letter T. So I'm not sure what your middle name is, but it starts with a T. Yeah, so uh, actually my website doesn't have a T, but my middle name is Todd. You're, you're a genius. Uh, it's <laughs> Jeff Tippett, J-E-F-F-T-I-P-P-E-T-T.com. And if you just Google me, I've got Google ads up. Even if you misspell it, it'll pop up. People will be able no, to see I it. I already had it. My bad on no that. Problem. No problems at all. So uh, we will have all that up there. And thank you for that. But so my last uh, question always is, what last words of wisdom, pearls of advice do you have for our viewers and helping them to make sure that they can unleash their superpower and uh, use persuasive co communication to really enhance their job search? I would leave them with, with this. Um, and this is how I walk off the stage most times that I'm on stage. Um, and I, I tell the story of adopting a baby during um, a time of civil unrest and the bureaucracy that was falling apart in Haiti, um, never having planned or wanted to adopt a baby. But you know, in six and a half months, I, I completed that adoption. But at the end, um, I finally make it back to the U.S. And I'm standing in the airport and I'm holding her in my arms. And at this point, she's whimpering. She had, we found out she had double ear infections. She had several different types of viruses. Um, and the, the plane, the, the compression was just killing her ears. She screamed most of the way um, from, from Port-au-Prince to Miami. Um, and then landing in the airport, and I'm sitting there holding her. She's still whimpering, um, trying to fall asleep. And I could tell the pain was there. And I looked down at her, and for a few moments, I did feel a lot of accomplishment that, you know, I did it. I made this happen. You know, I'm here six and a half months. The international adoption is completed. But almost instantaneously, that just went out the window and all the accomplishment was gone. And I looked at her with this amazement and wonderment. And I started wondering to, to myself, like, what's her life going to be? Is she going to be a doctor and heal people? Will she become a humanitarian and relieve suffering around the world? Will she be a teacher and impact hundreds of students that then could impact thousands of people? Would she go back to Haiti? 
And while I couldn't answer any of those questions, the one thing that I did know at that moment was this adoption was not over. This wasn't like a period at the very end. What this was, was the first flap of a butterfly's wing in the butterfly effect that says it's a single flap of a butterfly wing that over time and over space creates a massive hurricane, powerful hurricane. So at that moment, I knew that, yes, I've completed the adoption. Her life is here now. And what's going to happen from this is she's going to touch other lives. There's going to be a ripple effect beyond what's going on right now. And sometimes if we're seeking jobs, if we're out there doing like our daily grind, we get so focused on each transactional element in our life. And I encourage people to lift their head up and think through the greater good of what's happening in their lives and the lives that they're impacting and how our, what we do today is going to live beyond us and help people that we will never even know that we help. So be encouraged, go out there, get up tomorrow morning. Even if you've been rejected day after day, doesn't matter. The sun's gonna come up tomorrow. It's gonna to be a brand new day and go out there and go at it with all of your might, realizing that's just the first flap. And there's going to be great things that are going to happen in the future. You are an absolute joy. <laughs> I just, I have thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you. And I think there's so many lessons, especially of resilience, keeping yourself on the positive track, because from that, very positive communications can, can occur. Thank you so much for joining Absolutely. us. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunities. Absolutely. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Shock Your Potential. To learn more, visit shockyourpotential.com, shockyourpotentialpodcast.com, salesmixology.com. You can find my first book, Tell Me More, How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees at Amazon. To get a snippet of it for free, text the words, tell me more to the number 72,000. That's tell me more to 72000.